just say this with me, please. It has nothing to do with the message, but I just like a little agreement here. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I am delivered. I am delivered from every physical infirmity. Today, in Jesus' name. Nothing to do with the sermon. Just something God is having me say. So, little agreement. <laughs> so, what I am going to talk to you about today, um, actually, it's been within my heart for weeks, and it's actually from my second book that I'm currently writing. And I think it's a timely message. Um, it's called Persecution or Empowerment. And the Lord's been dealing with me a lot lately about my perception, how I'm seeing things. What eyes am I looking at things? Am I thinking outside the box? Am I taking the time to examine, look at things from all angles, and see what's really there, what's really happening, what's going on in the background, and not just what we think we see? Persecution or empowerment? So, James 1. Let's start with James 1. And it was funny that Pastor Gary talked about James 1 last week. So, I'm going to start reading it out of the Passion. Um, I was reading along in my devotionals. I just happened to come across this, you know, just timely as God does. Um, while he was revealing this to me, I happened to be in James. And you know what? I've read James 1 how many times? Like maybe 500 times? And it never came alive to me like it did uh, a month ago, two months ago, <laughs> whenever it was. It just, you know, when revelation happens, it just hits you. And you're like, why didn't I see that before? Pardon me. So, actually, it, uh, it came alive to me because a couple of months ago, um, I had a bit of a relapse. I mean, a lot of you know that I'm dealing with cancer. And I was doing great for so long. And, you know, my faith, I was believing, standing. And then, boom, one day my count started to go up again. And it was around that same time that this really came alive to me. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you're facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then... As your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection, maturity, character into every part of your being until there is nothing missing, nothing broken, which is soteria, salvation. Now, in the Living Bible, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptation? Then be happy, for when the way is rough, your 
patience and endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, you will be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. That came alive in my spirit to the point where I literally got up and started to dance. Because, you know, my stand hasn't changed. I haven't changed my mind just because my count started to go up. You know, I was a bit upset at first, I will admit, because that's not what I was believing for, that's not what I was expecting, and that's not what I was speaking. I knew my faith, and I really, you know, didn't understand at the beginning. You know, when you first hear, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, God, where did I miss it? What's going on? You know, and when, when we ask him that, he'll show us, but that's really not my focus today. I'll, I'll confess a little bit about that later on in the sermon. So, you know, I did happen to be in James 1 at that time. So it just hit me, stirring up power, fortitude. And that's not just because something happens to you. It's all in your perception. It's all in your response, right? It's not just because it's a trial. A trial by itself is neither here nor there. A trial can bowl you over and knock you out if you don't respond right, if you don't see it the right way. So I'm talking about your faith is proven when you respond the right way. When you see it through God's eyes, when you look at it through his perspective and what's really going on here. It releases perfection. Perfection is not perfect. It means, again, maturity, character. You know, character is one of the most important things. You know, that's what takes so long to develop, character. And then that wonderful, my favorite part, until there is nothing missing and nothing broken. So, you know, I'm big on soteria, salvation, peace, shalom, you know, the meanings of those words and having them in your life. So when I read this, I kind of had this picture of levels, right? So, you know, you have a trial and, and you, you overcome and, and you get a little bit of, you know, like the notch in the staff, like David, you know, overcome. And then something else happens and hits you. But then, you know, you, you respond right and you, you stand. And you might, you might be a little shaky, but you stand. And then you're kind of right here, right? And then something else comes along. And then you're kind of right here. And then you start getting the idea like, hmm, Maybe there's a whole purpose, like, but, you know, maybe this is not so bad. And then you kind of go here, and then, and it's not that we ever arrive, but you know what? There are levels. And I started thinking about levels. And uh, you've, you've all heard this saying, bodybuilders say it, I'm sure you've said it. <laughs> you know, I'm sure Pastor Paula said it. Pain is just weakness leaving the body, right? So I coined my own little, you know, phrase about that. I said, trials are just weakness and unbelief leaving the soul. Because you're responding the right way, God's way. We need to change our perception about trials. 
you know, the relapse. I'm like, okay, God, how can I turn this around and make it for good? Like Genesis 50, 20, you know, what the enemy intended for evil. Well, God has something that he's going to do good. So, you know, God's promises are sure. My stand has never changed. Even though I'm back in treatment now, the end is still the same to me. To me, I am still healed, whole, delivered, and set free. That's never going to change. I will win. I will overcome. But I'm looking at this say, okay, God, obviously I have some areas to grow. Something happened here. And we'll talk about that later. Your perception will decide how you come out. It will. God's promises are sure. How do you look at it? You know, and, and you know I'm not just saying this stuff as theory. I'm living this stuff every day, right? I am living this stuff. I am getting up every morning and I got to make a decision because I'm not dying. <laughs> I refuse to die. So, you know, I mean, about that pain, you know, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Any bodybuilder who didn't want to have pressure on his muscles wouldn't even be a bodybuilder. By definition, he's a bodybuilder because he welcomes pressure on his muscles so that they can grow, right? So I looked at this and I asked God to show me what could come of this, you know? So, you know, I'm a writer. Um, I write about overcoming. So, you know, duh, <laughs> another chapter, you know, another point of relatability, now I can talk about how to respond, what to do if it comes back. Because sometimes things rear their ugly head again. You know, now I know how to tell people how to deal with that. You know, the testimony when I win. You know, when I stood again. You know, these are points of relatability. If I want to write about overcoming, then I have to overcome in, in every area. You know, nobody wants theory, you know, they want, what did you do? How'd it work for you? Right. And I can write about that now. I've been there. You know what? And sometimes, you know, the Bible says, you know, you can move the mountains, but the Bible also says in uh, Psalm 46 too, that sometimes when you're moving a mountain, there's going to be a whole lot of shaking and quaking because that mountain do not want to move. Okay, so just because things shake and quake, that doesn't mean anything. That's just the mountain moving, right? We can't be fooled by these things, and we can't be moved by these things. So I kind of started to look at it differently. Not to view it as persecution or a trial, but to look at it as an empowerment opportunity to reach another level, you know? to get that maturity, to get that perfection working and character building. And, you know, and again, testimony, history, something I can look back on. Oh yeah, this. Oh yeah, I won there. Oh yes, God moved here. He delivered me here. No one can take that away from you. You know, that, those are things you can look back on and give you confidence and, and the devil won't be able to move you so quick the next time. You know, 
It was an opportunity to, to grow more muscle spiritually, to become more experienced, to become wiser. And then, of course, write it down for everyone's benefit. Right? It also allowed me to have a little more compassion because God is growing me in sensitivity and compassion. You know, that's an area I need to grow in. <laughs> you know, more ministry opportunity. And you know what? You need to look for it in yours. Whatever you're going through, look for the God opportunity. Look for, how can I look at this? Can I look at it from this side? You know, just outside the box thinking. That's something the Lord's really look, dealing with me. Think outside the box. Look for another opportunity. Look at it from another angle. When you can do that, though, you know, is a trial really a trial if you don't look at it like a trial? I think of Paul and Silas in the dungeon singing. You know, they were sitting there, you know, like as Pastor Gary said, in the lowest of the low with, you know, brown stuff all around them. Uh, singing their hearts out to God. Did they really think they were in a trial? You know, Paul often said, I count it all joy to suffer for the name. He didn't, I don't think he was looking at it as a trial. I think he was looking at it as an empowerment opportunity to develop more spiritual chutzpah, you know, Nothing can overcome me. The devil failed again. You know, he turned around. When you can turn around and say, gotcha, devil. <laughs> you know, I love that. It drives him crazy because his goal for you is to put your head down, you know, and just, I'm suffering through these trials for Jesus. Boo-hoo-boo. <laughs> That's his goal, right? To let it get to you to let it keep your perception in traditional religion, you know? But God, but God. Isaiah 41, 15. Here's what God wants. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. <laughs> you will thresh the mountains and beat them small. I will thresh this cancer and make it small <laughs> and make the hills like chaff. You will winnow them and the wind will just blow it away. The whirlwind will scatter them, and you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. But God, that's his goal. Alleged persecutions will come and go. But how are we responding? We all good? Because now I'm going to get to meddling. <laughs> Think outside the box. So, as an object lesson, I'm going to use this current situation of COVID. Our favorite topic, not. So, because it's a good one. It's a really good object lesson. Because there's a lot of Christians who think the church is under persecution right now. With all the lockdowns, the rules, policies. And it's irritating. 
And I'm not here to take sides. I'm just here to talk about our perception towards what we think is a persecution or something coming against us. You know, it is said when you're being squeezed or you're under pressure, what's in you is going to come out. So we need to look at ourselves and examine what is coming out. God's word, his standards, and our mandate on this earth never changed with COVID. This is not the big one. It's not the big one. (laughs) We have one command as New Testament believers to love one another. And I want us to read it right now in John 13. I'm going to read it from the Passion. John 13, 34, 35. So I give you now a new commandment to love each other just as much as I've loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you're my true followers. So what does love look like? We're going to go through a few scriptures. You know what I'm like. Philippians 2, 3, and 5. We're going to examine what love looks like. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. And consider the example of Jesus, the anointed one, He has set before us, let his mindset become your motivation. So the first thing that love looks like is esteeming one another before ourselves. The second thing that love looks like is sacrificing our rights for the sake of another. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Well, that's, it's the whole chapter, but... I am going to just give you some highlights, some snippets from 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. How easily we get puffed up over our own opinions, but love builds up the structure of our new life. And I'll carry on down to verse 8. You are no better if you don't eat certain foods, and no better if you do. Now, we're talking about all kinds of things, not just food, right? You must be careful that the liberty you exercise, you must be careful of the liberty you exercise. Drop down to verse 10. For if a believer with a weak conscience sees you who have greater understanding, okay, you can harm them. Verse 11. So in effect, by exercising your understanding of freedom, you may ruin a weak believer, a brother for whom Christ has died. And when you offend a weaker believer by wounding their conscience, you also offend the anointed one. So I conclude that if my eating certain foods deeply offends my brother and hinders his advance in Christ, I will never eat it again. Because I don't want to be guilty of causing my brother or sister to be wounded or defeat it. 9 verse 1. Am I not completely free and unrestrained? Of course you are. 
verse 19. Now, even though I am free from all obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. So that's another thing that love looks like, sacrificing our rights for the sake of another's conscience. Okay? Number three, and I only have three for what love looks like, Romans 14.4. And number three means not judging another man's servant. Who do you think you are to sit in judgment of someone else's household servant? His own master is the one to evaluate whether he succeeds or fails. And God's servants will succeed for God's power supports them and enables them to stand. In other words, we don't judge what another person does before God. Um, I wrote an article about that. Um, I don't know if some of you have read it. It's on my website um, about, uh, well, this whole thing, examining what we do. Um, What are we doing for God? What are we called of God? We have to judge everything in our own hearts based on what we're called to do and what God has told us. How we live. How are we supposed to live? In God, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not matter of rules about food, drink, or anything, but in the realm of the Holy Spirit, filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, serving the anointed one by walking in these kingdom realities, pleases God and earns the respect of others. So we're talking about outside-the-box perspective and our duty to walk in love. And there's many opinions about all these issues. There's opinions about masks. There's opinions about vaccines. There's opinions about what the government is doing. You know, violation of human rights, whatever. And you know what? I will confess at the beginning, I did get a bit caught up. You know, because I'm a strong personality. And you know what? Until I recognized what was going on in my heart. Because, you know, I was agitated. You know, I was, I was angry. And, you know, you know, how dare they? And blame. And then, you know, I'm looking around at the strife that's happening. People mad fighting over their positions. And, and you know, I was like, well, you know, I'm right. <laughs> you know, whew, what's the point of being right when you don't have peace in your heart? When there's resentment, when there's resentment in your heart. And, you know, lightning flash mind. This isn't righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you've read my first book, you'll know I talk about the effects of anger on your body, the the effects of resentment, the effects of blame, of agitate. These things will kill you. These things will make you sick. You know, and this is what the enemy wants. He wants us mad at the government. He wants us upset because they're trying to do things to us. You know, and I'm not saying whether they are or not. I have no opinion about any of it anymore because I just want to live before God and do what he's called me to do, right? 
um, I'm not giving the enemy any attention. He wants attention. He wants you to look at what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I mean, you've seen the stuff, right? You've seen the blasting on Facebook. You've seen the criticism and the ridiculing of people and the petitioning and the protesting, you know? And we need to ask ourselves, whose agenda are these things serving? You know, whose agenda is what I'm doing serving? Because we all have to look at ourselves because no one can judge anyone else. I had to look at myself and say, what is looking at this stuff doing to me? If it's making me agitated or angry or blame, it's going away. I'm not looking at it. I'm not thinking about it. You know, if my opinions or actions are stealing my or someone else's joy or their peace or their love walk, it's just not worth it. I don't care how strong our opinions are. It is just not worth it to steal your joy or someone else's joy. You know what? This is not the big one, as I said before, and I'll prove it. And I want us to read these things because it's good to know anyway. So, let's start in Psalm 2. I love these scriptures because people need to understand this, that this is not the big one. Psalm 2, 1 to 5. How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as the rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh and his anointed king, saying, let us come together and break away from the creator. Once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks their madness. Then with the fierceness of his fiery anger, he settles the issue and terrifies them to death. Doesn't sound like he's having a real problem with this. Psalm 9, 15 and 16. For the godless nations get trapped in the very snares they set for others. The hidden trap they set for the weak has snapped shut upon themselves. Guilty. The Lord is famous for this. His justice will punish the wicked while they are digging a pit for others. They are actually setting the terms of their own judgment and will fall into their own pit. Psalm 33:10. With his breath, he scatters the schemes of nations who oppose him. They will never succeed. Psalm 7, 14 to 16. Look how the wicked conceive their evil schemes. They go into labor with their lies and give birth to trouble. They dig a pit for others to fall into, not knowing that they will be the very ones who will fall into their own pit of failure. For you, God, will see to it that every pit digger who works to trap and harm others will be trapped and harmed by his own treachery. Last one, Psalm 64. We need to read these things. Psalm 64, 7 and 9. But all the while, God has his own fire-tipped arrows. Suddenly and without warning, they will be pierced and struck down. Staggering backwards, they will be destroyed by the very ones they spoke against. 
all who see this will view them with scorn and will stand awestruck over what God has done. (sighs) The gist of it, God's not worried about any of this. He laughs, spins them around in derision, and then, so what are we worried about? What are we fighting? What are we getting all stressed out for? He's not worried. Another one is uh, Psalm 73. I'm not going to read it, but you should read it on your own. It's really good. So good, isn't it? But read that on your own. You know, don't be concerned. Don't give it any attention. You know, do we think we're helping God by petitioning and blasting off criticism? We're not helping God. He can do it all by himself. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. (sighs) You know what? I want to talk about our callings. Because, you know, this, this thing about, you know, masks and vaccination, it's something we have to deal with, right? But when I wrote my article, and I've talked to a few people about this, you know, and I said, it really depends on what's, what has God called you to do, you know? If you can fulfill your calling from God by, you know, not being out around people and in public and not having to interact, like maybe you're just called to to write, maybe you're called intercessory prayer, and you're perfectly at peace not doing any of this and being home, God bless you. You know, that's what you're called to do. Me? That's not me. I'm called to be preach, to write, to be out speaking. So for me to do what God has called me to do, I have to do these things. And... That's my heart before God. I am his servant, and that is what he has told me to do. And that's perfectly fine, because I can pray over it. I'm not afraid of any of this. I can pray over these things. But to do what God has called me to do, I have to do these things. You know, Pastor Shirley, to do what God has called her to do, she's got to do certain things. So everyone has to just decide before God to do what you've now, again, If you honestly go before God, and the answer is, "Mm, no. If you're called to be an evangelist, and you're home hiding in your basement, I'm sorry. Maybe we need to go before God. (laughs) You know, and everyone has to answer that. We can't let our pride-filled opinions determine what we're going to do. We have to get before God, because the enemy is so subtle He will use God's will against you. Whatever you decide, he will use it against you, and he'll try to convince you that you're wrong, no matter which side. You know, um, he's trying to stir up Christians on both sides because he doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. He's going to use it against you, and he's going to try to drill your conscience about it. And that's why you just need to know, because he'll come at you from any side. If you are... You know, like, for instance, if you're dead set against all these things, he'll come whispering to you. Look at all those disobedient people with no faith. He will, right? He'll try to get you to judge them. He'll try to get you to argue with them. You know, he'll try to get you in pride about it. And then when you do it, 
He's, he's so bad. He'll try to convince you to do something. Then when you do it, he'll come after you. Oh, you've got no faith. Look what you did. You know, <laughs> he'll come at you. He'll, he'll condemn you for, he'll condemn you after. That's just what he does. It's his job, right? And if you're on the other side, and if you agree with everything and think it's all for the good, and you're cooperating, he'll try to tell you, you know, well, you're doing the right thing, but all those people, they're all in rebellion. You know, you're, you're so much more spiritual. He'll come at you. Doesn't matter. He loves this. He loves it, and he's having a heyday. Because he's getting people to fight with each other, right? He'll condemn you if you do or if you don't. If you do, you're a hypocrite. If you don't, you're part of the problem and you don't care about anyone. He will use your conscience against you in any way. And we have to be on guard for that. He's a liar. And the only thing he's coming to do is to steal from you, to try to kill you, and to try to destroy you. Okay? So now here comes the confession time because of the counts. When they, my, the cancer counts started to to rise because, and I want to use this as an object lesson. I don't mind, you know, telling on myself because I'm human, but the devil is so subtle and this is how subtle he is. So I mentioned previously that the count started to rise and revelation came to me about it, you know, after I caught my blunder. So as you know, I'm a writer and, but I have a job and my heart's desire is to be a full-time writer and, and minister. And I, I want to be released from my day job. And it's been on my heart. And, you know, this has been something. And I was thinking about it and thinking about it, you know. And the fact that I do, I mean, there, there's, some, there's cancer there. I mean, it's just there. And, you know, I'm physically tired sometimes, and it's, you know, it's something that I deal with, right? And, and going to work every day was very difficult, and I wanted to get out of it. And of course, you know, I spoke that, and the devil hears what you're saying. So he comes at you. Hey, you know you have full-time or disability benefits at work. You know, maybe you could go on benefits, get out of work. And he planted that seed, um, planted the thought. And you know, confession time, I actually took that into consideration. I started thinking about that. I wonder how I could take advantage of these benefits. And uh, I know you're thinking, Marion, how could you be so blind? Because <laughs> I should know better, Right? The more I thought about it, the more it grew. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, the cancer counts started rising. Coincidence? I think not. My thinking about how I could use the cancer to get what I wanted shipwrecked my faith. And your body listens. Your spirit listens to what you're saying. So I was using, trying to use the cancer as an excuse to get on long-term benefits because I wanted to do God's will. Dumb. Like, oh my heavens. You know, when I realized, I'm like, Marion, ah, 
that's how subtle the devil is. Whisper. He'll make it make sense. He'll say, but it's God's will. You're supposed to be. He doesn't care about God's will. He just wants to trip you up and get you out of faith. So the cancer count started to rise. Because my body heard me talking. So, of course, I immediately repented. (laughs) Turned around. Completely abandoned that idea, you know, and repented before God. I'm like, oh, my heavens. (sighs) Always watch our responses, what we're thinking, what we're saying. So now that it's happened, of course, I have to turn it around. And that's why at the beginning, you know, God has really dealt with me about saying, I am completely delivered from every physical infirmity, and I, I include, including cancer, right? And I'm going to say that till it's gone. Everything needs to be examined by the love criteria, by God's word, not by opinions, not by our rights, not by, but I'm fighting to defend God. I believe we have a great opportunity during this pandemic to turn the tables on the enemy, to respond in love to everyone around us, and to grow some of that maturity and character that the book of James talks about. Now, I'm going to pull out another object lesson for a moment. Woohoo! What is this? A piece of cloth. But this little tiny insignificant piece of cloth is the subject of such controversy. Oh my heavens. So, let's think outside the box for a moment. A piece of cloth, what does it represent? Well, there are many, many answers to that, isn't there? What does this represent? Well, let me give you something that this can represent that might mean something to us all. What if this stupid little thing represents to a scared, lost world that you actually care about them? They're scared. They think this is going to protect them. And whether we agree or not really shouldn't make any difference. Because if I can wear this stupid thing that is just a piece of cloth and say to someone out there who's scared, genuinely scared, I care about you. You know, whether I think it works or not is immaterial. What are my actions saying to those people? I was at work the other day, and I wear a plastic um, face shield at work. And I was helping a client, and and she had the full, you know, in whatever thing on. And, And after a while, she looked at me, and she said about my mask, you know, you do understand that that's not giving you any protection. And I said to her, I, you know, I, yeah, I kind of do understand that. Um, you know, I just want to make sure I'm not coughing on you. Um, but I like this one. And, you know, I can breathe in it. And, you know, whatever. People can see my face and see that I'm smiling at them. And I like it. And, and she said, and she, this lady had been in a few times, and she knew I had cancer. And she said to me, I, I'm really concerned for you. You know, that's, that's not giving you any protection. 
And, you know, I'm like, you know, I really appreciate that you're, you're concerned for me. And she said, look, I have an extra N1 out in my car. Let me go get it for you. So she went out to her car and she brought this thing in and gave it, you know, like, I'm really concerned for you. And I, I didn't argue with her. I took it and I said, you know, I really, that really touches me that, that you're that concerned about me. Thank you so much. Simple. But, you know, what if I had reacted a different way? What if I just stuck to my grounds, you know, like, well, I don't believe in that stuff. I don't think it... Would that have shown love to that woman? You know, they're scared. She was genuinely scared. And you know what? It's not about us. What if we're willing to give up our rights and show compassion for the weaker, scared people? You know, some people say it's unhealthy. You know, I've seen the things, you know, petri dish, petri dish. You know what? I don't think we're ever in danger when we're walking in love. What do we tell missionaries who go to dangerous countries? What do we tell them? Feedback. No, no. What do we tell missionaries who go to dangerous places? Right. Where's the safest place to be? Smack in the center of God's will, right? Safest place to be. If you're doing something out of love and your heart's right, you're not going to get sick. You're in no danger. You know, the world's not impressed by our faith and our stand unless it makes a difference to them, unless it shows how much we love them. They don't care about our faith. Let me see your faith. They don't care about our prideful stand and we're digging in our heels. They don't care. You know, love. And again, I'm not taking sides. I don't care one way or the other. It's all about what we do. Are we doing it in love? And are we fulfilling our call? Are we able to do what God has called us to do with the stand we currently are taking? We all have to examine. We can be acting ungodly on either side. And it will hurt our faith. It will hurt our growth. And it will hurt our spiritual power perspective. What are our actions saying? Our job, love one another. Don't worry about anything and pray about everything. Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Let's have a look at that. Don't be pulled in different directions or worried about a thing. Be saturated in prayer throughout each day, offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude Tell him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will make the answers known to you through Jesus Christ. So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real and honorable and admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. Don't fasten your thoughts on what the devil's doing. Prayer. That's our power. Not petitions, not yelling. Prayer. You have more power by speaking one verse of this Bible out into the atmosphere in faith than anything you could 
put on social media. This is our power. And if you can get another person to agree with you and speak out that verse, that's a thousand times more powerful. You know, I hope we're not forgetting the real power, the real influencer. You know, again, in my first book, I wrote, are you an influencer? Yeah. Yeah, you have more power. This whole influencer thing, you know, it's a big career now for some silly reason, you know, to get a thousand followers. Like, they have, they're nothing compared to the influence you can have by one faith-filled prayer out into the atmosphere. You're the influencers. It's powerful. It's not a small thing. You know, I, I get so upset when I hear people say, well, all, I guess all I can do is pray. Get some revelation. All you can do is pray? <laughs> yeah. That is the only thing you can do to make a difference. Pray. It's powerful. It'll change the situation. Returning his word to him in faith will change the situation. Don't give the enemy any attention. Don't feed life to anything he's doing by speaking about it, looking at it. Look at what God's doing. Because it is amazing what God is doing behind the scenes. Feed into your life everything God's doing. You know, I did a post a while ago, live like you have a secret because you do have a secret. You win. God has already won. You got nothing to worry about. We're already victorious and this will pass just like everything else the devil does will pass. And then we'll have our faith will be built up for the next thing because there will be a next thing, you know? So I want to end on a bit of a humorous and practical note. Smarter ways to fight. I love threatening the devil. So this is humorous, but take it for what it is. So, you know, we could say, okay, devil, you want to you play tough? So maybe for every time you overblow the media with you know, cases and deaths for everything. Every time you try to scare people for every case you overblow, I'm going to give a dollar into the ministry of God. Maybe I'll send it to the chosen because they're winning people all over the world. You know, threaten the devil that way for every case you overblow in my area. I'm giving a dollar to the chosen. Every day this goes on devil. I'm going to tell someone else about Jesus. Every single day you keep up this crap, I'm going to do another deliberate act of kindness to someone. Or, every day this keeps up, I have this scripture about your demise, and I'm going to just shout it out into the atmosphere and remind you, think outside the box. <laughs> what can we do? You know, effective ways to fight. God's word. Prayer, confidence, looking at it from a different perspective and making sure every decision we make, every stand we make is based on love and is based on our calling. 
what will put you in an empowerment position where you don't even view it as persecution. You view it as an empowerment opportunity. I'm not a victim. Not a victim. Victor. And that is all I have for today. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.